0: Welcome to Trending in Education. Mike Palmer here, very excited today to be talking about intellectual virtues and teaching for intellectual virtues with an esteemed guest. We have Dr. Jason Baer here. He's a professor of philosophy at Loyola Marymount University. He's also the co-founder of the Intellectual Virtues Academy of Long Beach, which is a charter school focused on developing intellectual virtues, among other things, opened in 2013. Jason recently wrote a book called Deep in Thought, a practical guide to teaching for intellectual virtues from Harvard Education Press. Lots to dive into, but before we do any of that, I just want to welcome Jason to the show. Jason, welcome to Trending in Education.
1: Thank you very much for having me, and I'm very glad to be here.
0: Yeah. And you've done some really interesting work here and you've uh, worn different hats over the course of your career that have in some ways culminated in this book and a really interesting story arc, I think, to what you put together professionally so far. We always like to begin the show by hearing in our guest's own words, your origin story, what got you to this point in your professional life. Tell us a story, Jason, catch us up on how you got to this
1: point in your career. By training and profession, I'm a philosopher. I work in an area called virtue epistemology. Epistemology is just the philosophical study of knowledge and virtue epistemology would be an approach to that field that focuses on the character strengths of good knowers, thinkers, learners, inquirers. Mm -hmm. And those are intellectual virtues, qualities like curiosity, open-mindedness, intellectual humility, intellectual courage. And from roughly 2000 to 2010, I was thinking, writing, teaching about intellectual virtues at a very high level, in, in, in very much in abstraction from education or what was going on in the world. And over the course of that time, I would occasionally step back and think, wow, these virtues that I'm writing about really. Articulate that the kind of education I wish I'd had more of, the kind of education I'd like to my my children to have and and around 2010 got into a conversation with a, a fellow philosopher and very good friend, and we started just kicking around the idea of starting a charter middle school that would be systematically oriented around helping students. Pursue growth in these intellectual character traits, not as part of an extracurricular program or co curricular program, but really in the context of academic thinking and teaching and learning. Mm -hmm. And what started off as a crazy idea between two philosophers, just gained some momentum and had a lot of great friends that came along and helped and got a grant of a little over a million dollars from the John Templeton Foundation. And we opened the school in 2013. It's doing very well in Long Beach, California, about 250 students grades six, seven, and eight. It was a story of a big idea that we were passionate about, got a lot of help along the way, and no one successfully got in our way. That's where I'm at today, bridging the divide between very high-level theory, philosophical, abstract theory on the one hand, and then very concrete um, experience on, on the other.
0: That feeds into how the book is structured in some ways, where you, know, you begin with more the, the underpinnings, the values, the principles, and then you start driving into more practical, concrete practices. Practice? I like to quote Alan Ivers, practice. You talked to me about practice, <laughs> but you've Ted Lasso, too. <laughs> Ted Lasso, there you go. But you do get into both ends of things, which is good really from both perspectives, because philosophy, as I understand it, always was struggling with that question of its pragmatic value? Like how do you put philosophy into practice on the one hand? And then in many ways, it seems like education nowadays is struggling with a lack of the higher level aspirations around developing these virtues, developing good learners, good thinkers throughout their life. In some ways, it becomes more focused on tests and demonstrating mastery and transmitting knowledge I thought there was an interesting tension between providing the real value that an educator would want to be able to walk away with real things to do in her classroom on the one hand, but then not jumping directly into that and actually trying to ground this in uh, a more consistent framework than maybe we traditionally see in really education generally, but education in K-12 specifically Can you talk a little more about the first part of the book, which is the the importance of setting some foundation, some philosophical underpinnings? There's great references to to John Dewey and Plato, Aristotle, Martin Luther King throughout the book, which I did really enjoy. But I'd I'd love to hear what got you to that place of setting it up the way that you did.
1: Sure. And that really uh, speaks to... A large part of why I wrote the book and why I got involved in in some of the work that you've mentioned, and it's this sense that for many of us who teach, there's the saying that those who can do and those who can't teach, that's not my experience. The, the people I know that teach do so be, because they had some experience or a few experiences uh, of education when they were young that that tapped into something in them. Mm-hmm. that that helped them see that learning and the pursuit of knowledge and understanding is a vital human experience mm-hmm. and can be energizing and life-giving. Mm-hmm. And often that was an experience made possible by a particular teacher. But for many of us, I think we have these moments, and I certainly had the same kind of experience. I can still remember very well an experience with, with a teacher who just had a certain orientation towards the class and towards the subject matter. And at a certain point, I just said to myself, if I could do what he does in the classroom, that's what I would do. Mm -hmm. And so I think we start with, as teachers, we often start with these sort of very big passionate visions of what's possible in education. And then once we get into the job, and this is true K-12 or at the college and university level as well, it's so easy to lose sight of what ultimately drove us into the profession in the first place. It's so easy to lose sight of what we were passionate about as teachers when we began our careers. And I think that the language of intellectual character and intellectual virtues is just a really useful way of articulating some of those passions and some of those ideals. Mm -hmm. And it presents an opportunity for us as teachers to get reoriented on, on, on why we're doing what we're doing. Mm -hmm. And, And part of that is we want to help nurture in our students' qualities like curiosity. And open-mindedness. We want them to become intellectually tenacious and courageous, but also to have an appropriate intellectual humility. All of mm-hmm. that's all virtues talk and virtue intellectual virtues language. Yeah. And so I think that just this idea that many of us as teachers have lost sight of what inspired us to teach in the first place was well, that was part of what I wanted to address and to try to give teachers some language that would allow them to get reoriented, reacquainted with some of their deeper passions. Mm-hmm. And then also to provide them with uh, a lot of very concrete practical guidance mm-hmm. about what it would look like. What are these ideals? Let's talk about what the ideals are. And that's what I do in the early chapters. i go through nine different intellectual virtues and intellectual virtues are different from things like natural intellectual abilities or intellectual skills, Mm -hmm. um, or just being knowledgeable or something like that. So laying out what these ideals are, and then moving in the second half of the book to a lot of concrete practices and looking in detail at what it would look like for us as teachers to take seriously those ideals that inspired us in the first place. And you said something about tension, and I think that's the, between the ideal and the reality that many of us face as teachers. Yeah. I think that's exactly right. And I, I do try to be very careful in the book to not be too idealistic. And I realize I'm writing a, 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 a book that is about a certain educational ideal. Yeah. And I realize that many of the people that are reading the book are going to be working under very non-ideal conditions. Mm-hmm. And so what what I hope is that the book will help people just hold those two things in tension. Sometimes that's the best we can do, is hold in tension a certain reality that we're faced with and a certain ideal that we want to aspire to. And we may not be able to achieve the ideal in its fullness, but we can hold those two things in tension. And frankly, I think that's an achievement for a lot of teachers. Yeah. A lot of it's difficult even to hold on to, remember the the ideals and deeper desires and passions that they have.
0: Yeah, yeah, it makes a lot of sense. You you hear the old saw that teaching is a noble profession. This did seem to give some substance to the the nobility of it. What are we actually trying to do? And I also liked how you were able to maybe poke some holes in some of the prevailing thinking around the purpose of education where is it really about knowledge transmission? Is it really about uh, skill development or job placement? Those are all elements of what we get through our educational experiences, but frequently the conversation to my knowledge has not included as much the development of intellectual character, intellectual virtue. There's been more of a movement of late towards character education and social emotional learning. As my listeners like to know, I get social, emotional, baby. <laughs> you know what? But those macro trends are certainly reflected in the book. But what I found, I guess, heartening is that you connected to a much deeper and longer intellectual history than a recent emergent trend. Plato, Aristotle, throughout the the time that humans have been thinking about philosophy and thinking about purpose and and virtue, they have been talking about things that are relevant to educators, but there seems to be a disconnect now. It, it's in part because there's just a gap where, you know, you mentioned in the book, the importance of giving language to these things. Can you expand on that a little bit? Cause I did feel like the, the framework and the construct was very coherent to me. And it does feel like even just coming out of reading through this book, I now have a better way to engage in conversations about character education, social, emotional learning, some of these other things.
1: Yeah. I really appreciate your bringing up the idea that education or teaching is a noble profession. And I think you're exactly right that if it's just about transmitting knowledge and skills, that's important, but I wouldn't use the word noble or ennobling to describe uh, that process. And in my experience, when you talk to teachers about the why of education and what might be noble about teaching, you sometimes run across language like, well, I want to inspire in my students, a love of learning, Mm -hmm. or I want to help them become lifelong learners or to become critical thinkers. Mm -hmm. I think that's right. But then when you press teachers and say, what do you mean exactly? by a, a, a love of learning or a lifelong learner mm-hmm. and, and how are your practices right now oriented around those apes, mm-hmm. right? That they often don't have a whole lot to say. And I think you're exactly right that it's because many of them don't have the language or concepts to unpack lifelong learning, say in concrete detail, mm-hmm. and that's exactly where the language of intellectual character, intellectual virtues, specific virtues, like attentiveness and intellectual autonomy, carefulness, thoroughness, curiosity, mm-hmm. tenacity, and so on. That, that's a rich, concrete language that we can use mm-hmm. to flesh out what we mean and by lifelong learning or critical thinking and, and so on. Mm-hmm. And I think that one of the nice things about the the construct, so to speak, of intellectual character in particular is that it really makes possible a very deep integration with character development on the one hand, or a focus on character development on the one hand and academic thinking and learning on the other. So traditional. Character education, which I think is important and I've learned a great deal from, focuses more on moral and and civic virtues. Mm -hmm. Uh, Kindness, compassion, respect, responsibility, those things are important. Education should help students grow in those qualities. But it isn't always easy to see how to incorporate a focus on moral or civic virtues into your garden variety math or science lessons, Yes, it's easier and much more natural to to think about what would it look like for me as a math science teacher to help nurture in my students qualities like curiosity or intellectual tenacity Mm -hmm. or Mm open-mindedness or carefulness or thoroughness. Mm -hmm. That's the terrain and the language of intellectual characters. I don't think that intellectual virtues and intellectual character are the cure-all for education. I don't think they're the only good or right way to approach education, but the one way in which I think this construct is unique is, like I said, how it weds character Mm -hmm. with ordinary academic thinking and learning, and it opens up a possibility for us as teachers to help our students cultivate good character through academic learning. Mm-hmm. It doesn't have to be something that we focus on outside of our normal academic uh, context or, or lessons and so on. It could be mm-hmm. deeply integrated into what we're doing every day in the classroom.
0: Yeah. When I was reading through the book, the two words that, that I kept coming back to was this sense of disconnect on the one hand as the problem stayed, and then the other word was integration or integrative, but you're were, you were basically figuring out how to rebuild those connections. And, uh, and in some ways, it reminded me of more in the, the, the corporate setting, frequently when you're setting strategy, you need a North Star. And then the tactics you take are in pursuit of this loftier aim. You may not get there right away, but you at least know we want to go in that direction. And that to me is something that I frequently have felt an absence when having conversations about about what are we really trying to accomplish in education and whether it's getting into the minutiae of the, of the curricula or the minutiae of ed tech, or what are those things in service of right. ultimately? And that's why I really liked the approach that you took here. I also liked the three Ps that you talk about, and I'd love to also get maybe some context. Some of the applications through the IVA would be really interesting just to hear how you've not just been philosophical about this you've actually been putting it into practice and then iterating and observing throughout that process but can you talk about the the connection between the ideals and the virtues to the principles postures and practices that you outline in the book yeah so
1: as you just suggested the 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 book is structured Largely around the the principles, the postures, and the practices that align with trying to help our students pursue growth in and experience growth in, in intellectual virtues. And by principles, I just mean really like our beliefs about education and about learning. So do we believe that learning should be active or or passive? Mm -hmm. Do we believe that as teachers, do we ourselves hold a fixed mindset or a growth mindset? So our principles as teachers, our beliefs about learning and education, the principles that we hold matter because they affect our practices. Mm -hmm. So I go through, I think, 10 different principles that fit well with the educational vision in the book. And then I also discuss several postures and by postures, something like kind of attitude or orientation that we have toward learning and toward our students. Mm -hmm. One of those would be an orientation or posture of presence, of really being present in the here and now with our students. Mm -hmm. Also of being genuinely open to where they're at Mm -hmm. and to what they have to offer on a given day. Yep. So postures are orientations within us that can help us cultivate the right kind of relationship, the right kind of rapport, classroom ethos, or environment that then would be a kind of fertile soil for the practices that are geared toward helping our students um, make progress in these virtues. Mm-hmm. So at least half of the book is spent developing these practices and fleshing out what they look like, what they have looked like in some of my own teaching. Mm-hmm. And then also a lot of it is drawing on my experience with the Intellectual Virtues Academy and what the teachers do there to honor this aim or ideal.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And on that point, I will say that one of the things that is very unique about the opportunity we've had with IVA and that in some ways complicates it as a a model for other schools is that we were able from the very beginning to systematically design the entire school Mm -hmm. around this North Star. And I do think that's a big part of what makes it such a special place. Yeah. Everything gets filtered through the aim of the school, the aim of helping students make progress in these virtues in the context of academic thinking and learning. Yeah. So it affects how, how we hire and, and who gets hired. It affects professional development. It, it affects absolutely how the principal or school leader relates to her teachers. And then, of course, it definitely affects curriculum and instruction as well. But really, every piece of the school is designed around the mission and and vision of the Mm -hmm. the school. Now I imagine to some of your, your listeners that could be like, that would be a great place to work, but that's not what it's like at my school. So is this kind of an approach that can only be practiced in that context? Mm -hmm. And, and my answer to that question is no, like many things, it's a matter of degree. And ideally we'd be able to design schools around something like this mission and vision from start to finish. Mm -hmm. But for, for, for most educators, we're in an environment that already has its own ethos and its own structures. Some of which may be conducive Mm -hmm. to what we're passionate about as teachers, some of which aren't going to be conducive to that. So one of the things I try to do in the book is to really try to make clear steps that can be taken in an incremental way, many of which any educator should be able to take.
0: Yeah. Um,
1: As far as what this looks like at IVA, like I said, the design of the school is a big part of it and the design of the educational program. But to try to be a little bit more specific, I'll say two things, two unique features of the school. One, there is a very high priority placed on relationships. Which might seem weird because we're talking about the intellect and intellectual mm. virtues, and that sounds very kind of high level and, and abstract,
0: rigorous or something yeah, like co- that. Cognitive Yeah, cognitive too. Yeah,
1: cognitive, yeah. yes, exactly. And in some ways it is, but we are firm believers, and, and this is one of the important things I've learned from my colleagues in traditional character education, we're firm believers that in order for students to be open to the kind of cognitive reorientation and development that we're trying to nurture, they need to feel like they are in a safe place and that they are cared for and respected and can trust the adults at the school. Yeah. And that, you know, trickles down from the adult culture at the school. So a lot of focus is placed on having healthy, open, respectful, caring, trusting relationships. Hmm. See that as a precondition for intellectual character growth. Yeah. The second thing would be just a pervasive focus on good thinking, and that enters in everywhere. And one of the forms it takes is a a very frequent and widespread use of what are called thinking routines. And we are taking this idea from research that was conducted, and some of which has been ongoing at Harvard's Project Zero, the sort of Education Research Institute in Mm -hmm. the Harvard Graduate School of Education. And these are just kind of short, step-by-step thinking protocols that are easily repeatable, easily scaffolded. And they just, for us, the way we think about them is is they create simple and easily repeatable opportunities for students to practice intellectual virtues. Yeah. Yeah. So one of the better known thinking routines is see think wonder and it's a process of having students first make observations. Mm. So there, there might they might be practicing carefulness, attentiveness, and then they proceed to then make sort of connections. What do they think about what they've seen? So they make observations and then they're asked, okay, what do you think about what you're seeing? And this can take a certain kind of intellectual autonomy and curiosity and so on. Mm -hmm. And then what is this, what are these things, what you've seen, what you've thought, what do these things make you wonder? Mm -hmm. And there again, curiosity, open-mindedness and so on come into play. And this is the kind of structure that you can use To apply to, say, something visual, a graph or a chart or a piece of art that you might be looking at, but it can also be applied to a text or to certain numerical patterns Mm -hmm. or to anything that you can observe and wonder and make connections about. So. Thinking routines are used throughout the school, across the different classes, and in teacher training and professional development. So that's just an example of where the practice of intellectual virtues is taken very seriously mm-hmm. and is pervasive at the school. And really what that looks like is a regular focus on good thinking.
0: Yeah, it makes sense. it, it does make me think of the the old adage, culture each strategy for lunch, where you know yeah. building a culture around this, which you've had the opportunity to do at IVA, is amazing. And I think the challenge is if you're in a culture that is not actually conducive to these practices, even if it is your North Star, there's some real challenges around that type of disconnect. But in some ways, maybe this is a wake-up call, both if you're in that type of environment is there a way to find a, an environment that's more healthy and aligned with your goals and aspirations on the one hand? And then if you have influence, if you're further up the chain in a school district or in higher ed or in, in learning and development in an organization, can you begin to shape the culture so that part of what you are explicitly in pursuit of is this model of a student, model of a citizen, model of what a good human will be able to achieve. It also made me think about Friday Night Lights, clear eyes, full hearts, can't lose. I like that you had the heart chakra getting some representation even as you were talking about philosophy because really throughout philosophy, there is a lot of recognition of the power of emotion, of how the passions are part of the the conversation. And it's very much everyone I know who's really pursued education as their career ultimately does have that fire in the belly. They are bringing their their heart to the table. And in some ways, the connection that I saw you make in the book, which I thought was fantastic, was really trying to build that same emotional connection to learning and to education your students and then it applies regardless of whether they become an educator or not whether they're teaching math or phys ed or whatever so good on you you know on the
1: culture point i think you're exactly right and i want to give a plug to work by ron richard who's an associate at the at project zero his work has been invaluable to us at the intellectual virtues academy and in my own research he he doesn't typically talk explicitly in terms of intellectual virtues, but he does talk about intellectual character. He has a 2002 book on intellectual character and he talks about thinking dispositions hmm. and he's written works on thinking routines that are outstanding. And then also has recently done work on cultures of thinking with precisely the idea that you mentioned in mind that, and there are cultures and there are cultures, right? And there's a school culture and Mm -hmm. that's important, but Mm -hmm. most individual educators don't have a whole lot of control over that. Right. But there are also cultures within our own classrooms. And he talks a lot about and really unpacks and makes very practical the idea of building cultures of thinking Mm -hmm. in our classrooms. Mm -hmm. And I think that just fits beautifully with a focus on nurturing I- intellectual virtues. Mm-hmm. Then as well, the, the point about mind and heart, I don't, I, that that's just exactly right. Intellectual character exists precisely at the intersection or overlap of character, which involves emotion mm-hmm. and, and feeling and attitude. It exists at the intersection of character and cognition, mm-hmm. or like you said, mind, and heart. Yeah. And virtues are just as much a matter of the heart as they are a matter of the mind. And so this is a way of bringing, we we like to talk in education. Uh, I teach at a Jesuit school. There's a long tradition there talking about educating the whole person. Yeah. Again, that's one of those terms. What do we mean by that? If you Mm. pull the average faculty member at a Jesuit university what do you mean by educating for the whole person? And what what does that look like in your teaching? We'd have all sorts of different answers that would be all over the map. Probably not a very high percentage of them would be especially well thought out or especially deep. Mm -hmm. And again, I don't fault educators for that. I think most of us just haven't had the language or the concepts to articulate what that might look like in any real psychologically robust way. Mm -hmm. And I think that's precisely what intellectual virtues language can do. And it does bring us right again to the intersection or overlap of mind and heart or character, cognition, intellect, will, and so on.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And it the other concept that's out there outside of the, the local culture is the idea of a community of practice. And that's where I was curious if our listeners wanted to Find out more about people who are doing this type of work. Where would you recommend folks go? The book is uh, "Deep in Thought: uh, A Practical Guide to Teaching for Intellectual Virtues." Uh, Jason Baer, that's you, and we'll be including a link to the book. But outside of the book, are there other places where folks can find other potential thought partners, a community or practice around this type of thinking? That's a great question. There are other resources. There's the book, like you said, and then there are other resources
1: that are available on online, intellectualvirtues.org. If you just Google Intellectual Virtues Academy, there are a lot of resources on those sites, but that's different from having concrete opportunities to engage with, with other educators. Mm-hmm. And unfortunately, I don't have a whole lot to offer there. This is a new thing. Most of the idea of an of intellectual character and intellectual virtue is still very foreign to most people, including most educators. We have over the past few years and are planning to do it again this summer. We have, with with um, the help of funding from the Templeton Foundation, we've put on what we've called Intellectual Virtues Institutes mm. at IVA, mm-hmm. and they've brought in about 30 educators, where precisely the, the idea is to give them some Opportunity to think and to learn a, about some of these ideas, mm-hmm. uh, and then to get to know each other, so as to keep in touch and and build something in the direction of a community of of, of practice. Mm-hmm.
0: Your book is not only about intellectual virtues; you also touch on the counterpoint to intellectual virtues. They're they're generally on a, a continuum, and on the other side. Is intellectual vices. So that might drive some downloads. So I wanted to make sure we had an opportunity for you to talk about that. We're in a world where there is a narrative out there that some of the lazier, less virtuous components of your intellectual character may ultimately result in some at least short term wins. That is the context that uh, I think a lot of this is being set within. How do you counter argue? against the shortcuts, the cheat sheets, uh, the fast ways to get somewhere. Maybe just get that outcome, but not necessarily get there in a way that's ultimately going to develop you intellectually. I'd love to get some of your perspective on that side of the equation. Sure. In a way I feel like that's easy. We just have to like point to things
1: going on in the world today. So two areas I'm thinking of one. The perilous character of our information landscape right now, so many different sources of information, the credibility of which can be very hard to assess, telling us so many different things. This has led to massive misinformation. And I think they're like, what do we need more of? And this isn't a cure-all by any means. There's, there are systemic solutions that need to happen as, as well. But at an individual level, we need carefulness. We need thoroughness. We need the ability to think for ourselves. We need autonomy. We need humility. We, we absolutely need humility. And I'll get to that in just a minute. Again, the really unfortunate, confusing, disheartening nature of our information landscape is it, it, it it's the fruits of intellectual vices. Mm-hmm. It, this is what happens when people are careless with information, when they don't care about accuracy or truth, when it's about power and uh, persuasion over knowledge, we're seeing how the the detrimental effects of an absence of intellectual virtue at the level of just gathering and understanding and and consuming information. Mm -hmm. And then similarly, look at the state of our public discourse and the polarization, the political polarization in our society right now. That's just an ongoing case study in intellectual vices, intellectual arrogance, dogmatism, closed-mindedness, and so on. And and so what do we need? In, In many contexts, we need to do a better job of listening to each other. Mm -hmm. We need to not caricature or vilify people who disagree with us. That's not to say we can't maintain the courage of our convictions. We can do that. Intellectual courage is entirely consistent with open-mindedness and intellectual humility, but we need more of those. We need more of those qualities in our, in our public life. And if you want to know why, again, just look at how things are right now and and look at the role, how intellectual vices are defining a lot of our political and civic landscape.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And then you're teaching middle schoolers, although these lessons apply throughout the life, in some ways they're really to cultivate that lifelong love of learning. I'm a little curious why you chose middle school. Sure. It was a variety of factors, but certainly we saw that as a really critical developmental
1: window where students are starting to push off from their parents, find their identities in other sources and viewed this as a great opportunity to help. Shape their identities, shape their character in a way that w- would have lasting impact. I think ideally it would be K through twelve. Yeah. I should also mention uh, I, I, I I've been less involved with this and can't take any serious credit for it. But in 2016, I believe, an IVA high school opened up Ah, um, as well that was an outgrowth of the middle school. They're on different campuses. Their populations are are to some extent overlapping, but not entirely. But at any rate, yes, I think ideally it would be a K through 12.
0: Yeah, that makes sense. And then I would recommend the book not just to folks focused on K-12. I do think it has applications. Really, I was thinking about it as someone who has conversations on the regular and how do I prepare in a way and engage in conversations that are are really ennobling, even of myself, aspirational in terms of, of who I could be and then how that translates into what we all can do as educators who are impacting folks. Wonderful conversation, Jason. As we're getting closer to conclusion, any way to start to tie this together for our listeners if they wanted to to get some takeaways from the conversation any ways in which you might be able to synthesize or drive some of this home I think I'll just end with a couple of questions for your listeners
1: what are you most passionate about as an educator why did you get into education in the first place what do you most deeply desire for your students at the end of the day? And then to what extent are those desires and passions and ideals, to what extent do they inform and regulate the way that you teach and and who you are and how you are as a teacher on a day-to-day basis? Mm -hmm. And if you feel like, ooh, there's some tension there and I don't know how to answer that question, I'm not sure those two things are especially well integrated in who I am or in my ed- educational practices, then I might recommend uh, taking a look at the book, uh, Deeper Thought. Um, yes. But of course, again, there are other ways to, to make those connections and pursue those interests.
0: Yeah. And, and in some ways you're a model for folks. You talk about modeling in there too. You have been able to connect this somewhat abstract stuff to something that is practical. And, uh, and I think that's something that we're always striving for when we're having conversations on this show. Jason Baer, a professor of philosophy at Loyola Marymount University. He's also the co-founder of the Intellectual Virtues Academy and the author of Deep in Thought, a practical guide to teaching intellectual virtues. Jason, I really enjoyed the conversation. Thank you so much for joining us. I really enjoyed it too. Thank, thank you very much. And for our listeners, hopefully you enjoyed as well. If you did write us a review, tell a friend, share it through the social media platform of your choice. Hopefully we're moving uh, the needle in the right direction and you'll be back again soon. This is Trending in Education.